your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Good morning, everyone. That text actually talks about the fact that Jesus came, even though he was God in the flesh, he came in the form of a servant. And then after he was resurrected and taken back, he became the almighty Son of God on the throne of God. Now, I want to key on the term servant this morning. I just want to talk to you about it, about what the Bible says about it, because sometimes when we begin to talk about subjects that are in the Bible, we try to we try to bring our current situation into the context, and we sort of mix them up, so that the context that we're looking for becomes confused with what we're accustomed to, rather than what was actually going on, and so we get a, a skewed view of what the writer's talking about. The writer was talking about Jesus being a servant. Now, he did not use the term slave. He used the term servant. And we need to keep that distinction in mind because we've come through a time of, in our lives and the time of our forefathers where slavery was part of our culture in this country and in other countries. And the, the, the concept of slavery as being under bondage, under chains, and restriction, and the abuse of one human being to another is, is detestable. And so we've struggled out of that as a society and trying to struggle out of it and, and keep out of it because its influence has a great influence upon and an impact upon our society, and it's, it's caused a great deal of harm and suffering. But the Bible reference to the word servant is not that at all. Now, the word slave appears very few times in the New Testament and the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, King James Version, it never appears. So, we have to keep in mind that the word slave and the word servant are two different words. And the Bible, when it's talking about in the preponderance of text, servitude or servants and slaves is talking about servants in a context that we're not really that familiar with. Really. We're familiar with slavery, bondage, human depredation, human suffering where one individual is bound under the boot of another individual and is made to suffer and serve without any sort of rights or any sort of humanitarian concept. But when we talk about what the Bible is talking about and we talk about servants, let's see if we can't decide what these people were and what the Bible is talking about when we use that term. We're not talking about slavery 
in our context. Now it's true that at times some countries were able to overrun and overwhelm another country and take citizens as the, as the spoils of war, take citizens back into their country and enslave them. That happened. Now that did not happen to Israel. Israel was not brought as a captive nation into another nation and subjected to slavery. They were, as a matter of fact, when Israel came into the land of Egypt, they were brought in as guests. And they became a, a, a people, but eventually the rulership changed. And instead of the people being ordinary, common citizens with the same rights as other citizens, they became a subjugated people that were in... in uh, well, I don't want to use the word enslaved because they weren't enslaved as such, but they were under bondage. They were, they were obligated to the, to the Egyptians. And they were made to force to work under cruel taskmasters. But these people were not the servants of Pharaoh. They were the servants of God. There's a difference. Now, let's talk about servants in another context. See if we can get our, in our minds what a, what a servant was, what a Bible servant was, what the servants were that are referred to in the Bible when we talk about different individuals that are called servants. So let, let's see if we, can, if we can get in our minds what a person was when they became a servant. Instead of being a slave, in chains, in bondage, and subjected to, to humiliation and deprivation of their rights. Let's talk about servants that were talked about in the Bible in terms of how they were looked upon by the, that society, not by our society. Okay? It's tough. I know it's tough. Because we come, we come from a background that uh, has mixed up this idea of servant and slave. Okay? Slavery should never be agreed upon or never be accepted as the norm of society. And as a matter of fact, it should be opposed. And it has been opposed. And it should always be opposed. However, servitude or being a servant is not of that nature. Let me, let me take you to a text in, in the book of Luke in chapter 17. Now, a servant had a, a position in a household. Now, that servant could have been purchased in that that happened at that time That, in that society. People were purchased because they were indebted. They were not able to sustain themselves. And so they actually sold themselves to a master to serve them to be able to work off a debt that they had to that individual. Now that was basically what a servant was. And sometimes that individual rose up in a position of authority and and of grace in the household. In other words, all servants were, were not all equal, but all servants served a master and served at the, at the behest of the master. Now, here's the text in Luke 17 that I want to start out with. Luke 17, verse 7 through 10 says, Which of you... Now, Jesus is talking to his apostles and talking to the crowd, and he's saying, Which of you having a servant? He's not saying, which of you are slaveholders? He's not saying that at all. He's saying, which of you having a servant? 
Now, the way you got a servant was you purchased them. They were purchased. That individual sold their services to the individual that maybe provided for their family, maybe maybe just paid off a debt, whatever it was, that person was in servitude to that individual that purchased them and purchased their service. And they purchased everything the person had, basically. Now it says, which of you having a servant plowing or feeding cattle will say unto him by and by when he comes from the field, go and sit down and eat meat? And will not rather say unto him, make ready wherewith I may sup and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk? Okay, the servant's position was to serve the master. That's the basic purpose of them. It wasn't that the master could abuse them. They could probably abuse them by language, etc., by behavior, but they weren't, they weren't uh, beating them and, and abusing them in that way. Okay, and he says, Which of you will not serve me first? And afterwards you shall eat and drink. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise, when you shall have done all those things which are commanded, you say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which is our duty to do. Okay. So a servant had a duty. Now, the Bible uses the term servant hundreds of times in the Old Testament, not quite that many times in the New Testament. And we're, we're, we're introduced to servants early in the history of, of the Bible. We're introduced to, to the uh, business of a person becoming a servant when uh, Joseph was sold by his brothers. Now, you remember Joseph, the coat of many colors, and he, he was sent by his father up to see how the boys were doing with the sheep. And when they saw him coming, they thought, oh, we don't like this guy. He's, he's, a, he's a father's pet. And so they threw him into a pit, took his coat, threw him into a pit, and when some... Midianites came by, and Ishmaelites, they were called both Midianites and Ishmaelites, they came by, the boys sold their brother to these slaveholders, or they, I don't guess they were slavers, but they were purchasers of servants. So when they got to Egypt, they sold Joseph to, to, a, a, his, to a, a captain, Potiphar was his name, sold him to Potiphar and he began to serve Potiphar. Now, he was a servant. And the text tells us that Joseph, as a servant, prospered. He did well. So that tells us that a servant had a certain latitude. Potiphar saw in Joseph something that made him a servant above other servants. All right? So he, he saw that he was doing well. So you know what Potiphar did? He put him in charge of his house. Now think about that. He put him in charge of his house. And he did so well that Potiphar gave everything over into his charge and Joseph took care of all of his business. And the text tells us in chapter 39 of the book of Genesis that eventually Potiphar said, all I'm interested in is give me my meals. Give me... Three squares a day. That's what he did. So Joseph provided everything for Potiphar and just made sure Potiphar, all Potiphar was concerned about was, I need to eat regularly. 
Well, we know that Joseph then got into trouble because of Potiphar's wife. It wasn't Joseph's fault, but it was Potiphar that, that uh, provided that. Now, this man was a servant. Joseph was a servant. He was not a beaten down man. He was not an abused man. He was not a man that didn't have any dignity or didn't have any stature. He was a man that acted on the behalf of his master in all things. He was a servant. Now that word servant in the Old Testament has a dignity about it that we don't give it today. The servant, the person who became a servant in a household was a dignified individual with honor and respect. Imagine. Now, you remember when Jesus was was on his way in between towns and there was a centurion that had a servant that was sick. Now this text says he had a servant that was sick. But the text says the centurion loved that man dearly. Now the man wasn't a slave as such. He was a dignified individual. He wasn't somebody that, 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 that the centurion just beat up. But he, he said, this man, this man was dear to me. And so he sent to Jesus and he asked Jesus is he, if, he, if he would say something to help his servant heal. And Jesus said he was going to come to his house. And, and the centurion said, no, don't, you don't have to come. He said, I have soldiers, and I tell them to go here and go there. And they do it. They go where I tell them. And he said, I have a servant, my servant. When I say do something, he does it. That was his servant. Okay, the point is that this man had a position in his master's house that was dignified and respected. Now, when we look at the Old Testament, the word servant is used by for uh, describing several different individuals and it's describing them with honor. The word servant was an honorable term. We have to keep that in mind. We think of, of a servant as someone, well, they're just, they're just a hired help. Well, they're not. A servant was not hired help. The Bible doesn't talk about a servant as someone of his own wages that did daily, hourly work and was paid wages. The servant was someone who was in and part of that household, was not at, at the level of a child, but was certainly at the level of a respected, honored individual. Now, Abraham is called a servant in Psalms 105, verse 42. Abraham was the servant of God. Now later on, we can read in the book of James that Abraham was called the friend of God. Now how can a servant be called a friend? But he was. Abraham was an honored individual. And a matter of fact, all the Old Testament, when it talks about servants, and there are hundreds of texts that talk about servants, it's all done all, all these individuals are spoken of with honor and dignity and respect. It was something to be a servant. It was something honorable to be a servant because the servant was given the responsibility 
of the master. That responsibility. They acted on the behalf of the master. Did you know that? Abraham, God chose Abraham, and he was called a servant because God said, I have something to do, but I'm going to let you do it for me. Get it? You see the point? God didn't come down and do what Abraham did, but he had Abraham do it on his behalf. Now that's respect, and that's honor, isn't it? Now we got that mixed up. We get that mixed up in our society, and they got it mixed up then. Matter of fact, the disciples of Jesus, the apostles of Jesus, got it all mixed up. They thought it would be better to be a master than it would be a servant. So they wanted to be the master to tell the servant what to do. But God sent His Son to this earth to be a servant. But there's honor and there's dignity in that. Moses was called a servant. Exodus chapter 14, verse 31. Matter of fact, on over 50 times in the Old Testament, Moses is called a servant. Now, everybody wasn't called a servant. But Moses was. David probably was called over 40 times. He was called a servant. Look what David did. What David did on the behalf of God. Joshua, in Joshua chapter 24, verse 24, verse 29, was called a servant. David was called a servant, 2 Samuel 7, 5, and so many other places. Job, remember when the devil came to, the, to, to present himself for God? God said, have you considered my servant Job? Wait a minute. He just didn't call him, have you considered Job? He said, have you you've considered my servant Job? Why? Because Job represented God in a very special way. So did David. So did Moses. So did Abraham. And the prophets, Amos chapter 3, verse 7, he said, I have spoken unto my people by my servants, the prophets. My servants. Now, all the people, all of Israel was called at one time, all of Israel was called servants in, in Isaiah 41 and verse 8. Because they had, they had been selected specifically to represent God in some manner. When we talk about representing God, what we're saying is when the, when the servant acted according to what God told them to do, they were acting on his behest and behalf. Okay? So the authority that they had was the authority that the Father had. Sometimes in your reading, when you're reading the Old Testament, just just think about this. I'm not going to go through them all today. and It would take a lot of time for me to go and develop all the, all the different points. But just think about this. Sometimes some of the servants of God, like Moses, Aaron, before I get too far, let me give you an example of someone who did something he shouldn't have done. And that was Moses and Aaron both. But Moses said, remember, when the people wanted water, God said, go speak to the rock, my name. And so Moses went and said, must we give you water? He said, in other words, he took the authority on himself. He was not acting on God's behalf at that point. 
he was acting on his own hook. And as a result of that, he didn't get to go into the promised land. Now that's quite a penalty because what was happening was he was mixing up his position before God. He was not God. He was a servant of God. He was a representative doing what God would do if God were there in his body. Got it? Okay. Sometimes in your reading, when you're reading the Old Testament, especially the prophets, sometimes, and Moses did this sometimes too, when he spoke, it was hard to determine whether he was speaking on the behalf of God or he was just speaking as if God was speaking instead of him speaking. It's very, very easy to see that if you're if you're reading the prophets, it's very easy to see that coming up. Isaiah did it a lot. Ezekiel did it a bunch, and so did Jeremiah. These prophets did it. In other words, when they were talking, as you're reading the context, all of a sudden you're saying, Who's speaking here? Is it Jeremiah or is it God? It's hard to get it because God was speaking through Jeremiah. Jeremiah was doing what God told him to do and saying what God told him to say. But it's kind of confusing, kind of hard for you to figure it all out because of the intimacy of that relationship. Being a servant. Well, let's get to this point. In the New Testament, Paul said he was a servant of God. Romans chapter 1 and verse 1. That's quite a statement. He wrote, he wrote his book and he was writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit and he said, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ and of God. And Peter said the same thing. 2 Peter chapter 1 at verse 1. James said the same thing in James chapter 1 at verse 1. Jude said this. Jude 1, 1. And John said it in Revelation chapter 1 at verse 1. They all claimed to be servants of God. They said, servants of God. What were they doing? They were speaking on the behalf of God, carrying all the authority that God had because God was telling them what to do. And they they were servants. Think about a servant. Think about a domestic servant. We don't we generally don't have a domestic servant, but back when the when uh, in, in the British society, the societies like that, that they would they would they would. Uh, have a domestic servant. They paid them, obviously. They didn't buy them, but, but they paid them. And this servant then stood on behalf of, of the master. And so the, if you came as a guest in their home, that servant who was there, maybe it's the butler, maybe it's the head of the butler, whatever it may be, that servant would talk to you on the behalf of the master and tell you what to do and what not to do. And then they would go ahead and and manage the household, and some of them would manage the build, and some of them would manage the gardeners, and some of them would manage everybody else. That would be a household domestic servant. And they would have that authority. Now that's what we're looking at in terms of, uh, more magnified, in terms of a Bible servant, one that God chose. God said, this is my servant. Now that individual then was to act on God's behest and his behalf. Not being hired, not a hireling. Remember what Jesus said about the hireling? He said, the hireling will leave the sheep. He said, I'm the shepherd. But but, uh, when God purchases someone, and he did, he purchased Israel, he purchased his people, he, 
he uh, he bought them as as such, and they became completely, totally responsible to him, doing what he wanted them to do. A couple of things were necessary. One, number one was they they were they were to obey what he said. Number two, they were to carry out his will, do do the things that he would do and what he would want them to do. Now Jesus was God's servant. We we get this from several texts in the Old Testament that were that were projections of what Jesus would be. Isaiah forty two at verse one says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect, in whom my soul delights. So God was going to send a servant to this earth. His servant. His representative. His he the one who had all authority to do what God Himself would do were he present in that individual. He had that authority. Isaiah 40, 49, verse 5 and 6, it says, Now saith the Lord that formed me from the womb to be his servant. So this was, of course, we know this was Jesus. And then Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13 through 15, Behold, my servant shall do deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. And then we have a description of him in Isaiah chapter 53. But we know he's talking about Jesus. He is my servant. Jesus, when he came as a servant, now now he gives us the best example of being a servant. All the prophets give you a pretty good example too. Because they 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 in they acted exactly at the bidding of God Himself. Now, when Daniel was in, in the uh, court of the Babylonians and the Chaldeans, he did exactly what God wanted to do. God said, God told him to pray to him three times a day, and Daniel did it at the expense of his life. He was going to be thrown in. He was going to be thrown into a lion's den. God protected him. And so the three Hebrew children did the same thing. They thrown. They were thrown into the furnace of fire. They were servants. They were servants. They were acting on the behalf of God and only at His will. They only obeyed Him. And when it came to a conflict, and Nebuchadnezzar told Daniel, he said, when you hear the cornet or the dulcet, when you hear all this noise, you're to come bow down to this image that I built, this golden image. Daniel didn't do it. And so he, the point is, he was a servant not of Nebuchadnezzar. He was not a servant of Darius. He was a servant of God Almighty, his God. And that's what the servants were. And when Jesus came, He said, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him that sent me. Jesus came to this earth as a servant. He was committed totally to His Father, doing what His Father wanted Him to do. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7-9 through says, Who in the days of His flesh, when He had offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying, and tears unto Him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared though he were a son yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered he obeyed even though as far as he was concerned his disposition was I shouldn't do this and the father said you must do this and he did because he was a servant son the sons when they came into the household children 
youth, and that's what the word servant means. The Old Testament means youth, basically. They were under the control of the father until they reached a certain point. Then they came into a, another position of authority, which would be a son instead of a servant. Anyway, when Jesus came, he came as a servant. And in Matthew chapter or Mark chapter ten, verse forty-five, it says, "Even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many." So Jesus came not to do his own will but the will of his Father as a servant. And then in Luke 22, verse 37, or verse 27, remember when the discussion was being held by uh, <clears throat> by the sons of Zebedee, James and John, they, they even sent their mama to Jesus and said, when, uh, when you come into your kingdom, we want to be one on the right hand and one on the left. <clears throat> and Jesus said, he, he tried to get them to understand that the greatest in the kingdom was not the, the one who was served but the one who served and that's what he said whether is greater he that sits at meat or he that serves is not he that sits at meat the greatest he said but I am among you as he that serves now after, after Jesus arose from the dead he changed positions he now became the master after his resurrection. It says, our text says, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God has highly exalted him, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. As a result of that, and him becoming the master, now then, Jesus calls us and brings us into his kingdom. But guess what he does? He purchases us, which would make you a servant. Now, 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, "What Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have of God? You are not your own. You do not own yourself. You don't. I don't. I don't own myself. I don't own you, that's for sure. You don't own me. But somebody owns me. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 says, You are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. You are bought with a price. What does that mean? That means now, once I'm bought, I am a servant in the household of God. I'm a servant. Now, that's, that's not that's not an undignified term. As a matter of fact, that's an honorable term. And... Uh, the same, the same statement made, or the same concept is made in First Peter chapter one, verse eighteen through nineteen. For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. So you've been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. You've been bought. Now then, I'm in the household of God. And I am a servant. And I'm to, to represent the Father in some way. Okay. In John chapter 12, verse 26, it says, If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am there shall my servant be. If any man serves me, him will my Father honor. So, if we are in Jesus Christ, we are a servant with Him, and Jesus is with us. 
that there's, a, of course, our service to God is a, a service of righteousness. We need to do the things that God says that bring about a righteous life. Romans chapter 6, verse 16 and 17 says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey. That's understandable. Whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness, let God be thanked you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Hebrews twelve twenty eight, we receiving a kingdom that we receiving a kingdom which cannot be removed, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and fear. Now, here's the idea. God wanted to bring Israel out of Egypt. So instead of coming down to this earth and going through all the different processes it would take to get Israel away, He sent someone that He called His servant. He sent Moses. So Moses did, God did through Moses what God wanted done with Israel because Moses was a servant. Think about yourself. What does God want done through you? You see where I've come all of this? All of this has come to this particular point. You have been purchased. You are honorably, you are a servant. Now then, if God has something He wants done in your community, who is He going to send to do it? His servant. He's not going to come down personally and do it. He's going to do it through His servant. So, if somebody needs to be brought to Jesus Christ, He's not going to come to them in a dream and in a vision and in some sort of magnificent way. He's going to send you with your Bible. And you're going to open your Bible and you're going to talk to them about God because you are God's servant and you are the one that's going to tell Him. You're the one that's going to go preach the Gospel. You're going to set forth what God would have them to do in order to be saved. And he said we shouldn't do this with eye service even when we serve our masters. He even talks about serving someone. If you're in that position of servitude, he never, he never discussed, and sometimes we, we have to keep this in mind, the Bible never talks about slavery as such that, we, that our society is aware of. But it does talk about the abuse of one human being to another, and it does talk about that. But it talks about the fact that if we have a master, if we are in servitude, and we can be, we're not probably not this current day and age. We we're not indentured servants. We don't. We've gone past that. But if we're responsible to someone like our family, our parents, or others, we have a responsibility as a servant to perform a service that would be honorable to God and to ourselves, and would be helpful to them. And we're doing it on the behalf of our master. He said, uh, our service is a total commitment to God and Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 says, No man can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other. He'll hold the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and mammon. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 9 says, They themselves showed us what manner of entering we had among, unto you, how that you turn 
to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So our service then becomes a service to others that is God serving us through us is serving other people. Now that uh, Matthew chapter 20 verse 25 through 28 says, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them, but it shall not be so among you. Now the point I'm going to get at is this. Whosoever will be great among you, let him be your servant. He's talking about us as a people. He's talking about us as Christians with one another. Serving each other. So I have to look and say, well, what do, you, what does God want me to do to help you? To do for you? You see the point? That's what He's talking about in this text. He's not talking about just going out and serving humanity. He's talking about serving each other in the bonds of fellowship. He's talking about what I can do to you or for you as a brother or sister in Christ. That's what He's talking about. He said, let Him be your minister. Whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, to give his life a ransom for many. And then in Mark chapter 9, verse 35, he sat down and called the twelve, and said unto them, If any man desires to be the first, the same shall be last of all, and servant of all. So, I should be your servant. You should be my servant. That's basically what he's talking about. So if God says, Bill, I, I think I think uh, John needs something. He needs a word of encouragement. He needs someone to help him with his, with his difficulty. He needs someone to, to help him in what, whatever phase of life he's in, whatever, whatever it may be. In other words, what I'm saying is that God expects me, if I'm going to be a servant, He expects me to respond to your needs. That's what he expects. John thirteen fifteen through 17 Jesus said, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done unto you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, you should be happy. Brethren, be you called unto liberty, only use not liberty as an occasion for the flesh, but by love serve one another. I should step up when I know you have a need and help you. <clears throat> we will not always be servants as such, but we will eventually, when the time comes, we will be servant sons, servant children. We will rise above the business of being a servant as such and we'll become a, a son with Jesus Christ. And in John chapter 80, verse 35, it says, the servant does not abide in the house forever, but the son abides in the house forever. So the time will come when you'll have to give up the idea of being a servant, and you will be a son. And because you are a son, Galatians 4, verse 6 through 7 says, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore you are no more a servant, but a son, if a son, then you're an heir of God through Christ. Well, I just talked about servitude. That's what I intended to do this morning. There's one other text I wanted to introduce to you. In John chapter 12, verse 26, 
Jesus said, If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve him, him will my Father honor. Wherever I am as a servant, Jesus is. Moses was told, Go down and bring my children out of Egypt. Moses said, I, I, I can't talk. I can't say it. Genesis chapter, Exodus chapter 3. And so he said, Aaron, he sent Aaron with him. So Aaron could do the speaking. But Moses ended up doing some speaking too. And when, when Isaiah was told, I want, I want my people to hear something. I want them to hear my word. And Isaiah said, I, I can't talk. I can't speak. And God took a burning coal of fire and put it on his lips and said, now talk. So and it could. And Ezekiel said, I'm not sure they'll listen to me. I don't think they'll listen to me, Lord. And so the Lord grabbed him by the hair of his head, the Spirit did, jerked him up and said, I'll send you to them anyway. Their heads are hard, but I'm going to make your head harder than theirs. You're going to go talk to them. The prophets, the person, purpose of the prophets was to tell the people what God wanted them to know. That was God talking to them. And the same thing today. I can't talk. Well, grab somebody that can and go, go preach. You see, my neighbor wants to hear the gospel, but I'm not sure I can teach them. Well, grab somebody that knows how. Just like Moses did. He grabbed Aaron and off they went. God wants us to do work on His behalf because we are His servants, which means I don't belong to myself, I belong to Him. And therefore, what He wants done is what I want done. Now, that's what I want to say about servants this morning. I hope it's been helpful. We're going to sing a song of invitation. Let's stand and sing that song.